The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Tuesday, May 26th, coming off the holiday weekend. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my deputy editor, John Dixon. John, how was your holiday weekend? Got to see the kids, which was nice. Some of them we hadn't seen for a while, uh, so we got to see most of them over the weekend. That was very nice. That's good. I had some Shake Shack. So that was the highlight of my Memorial Day. <laughs> Hadn't had it in a while because of the quarantine. I, I I intend every week for the diet to start Monday. This week, the diet starts Tuesday. So that's where I'm at. Uh, uh, Patrick, with that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes ha- had somewhat of a busy couple of days. Texas Tech asked him to be their commencement speaker. And as it turned out, his speech was so short that we could play it for you right here on the podcast. Here we go. I'm honored to introduce Patrick Mahomes. Class of 2020, congratulations. You did it. You made it. And I'm beyond excited that I get to share the celebration with my fellow Red Raiders. I know this isn't the graduation ceremony that you and your families had envisioned, but that doesn't change the outcome or all the hard work, long hours, and sacrifices that you made to achieve this milestone. I know this is sure not how you imagine spending your last days as a student. I'm sure you'd rather be hitting up Chimmy's or Broadway to celebrate this day. But the world is in a different place today than it was just a few weeks ago. And as Red Raiders, we're built to persevere in difficult times. We've all had to take a moment and learn to adjust to these new challenges. And when the odds are stacked against us, we make a play. And I can tell you, this is going to make us all more competitive and hungrier than ever. Remember, this is still a day to celebrate, to look back on your friends you've made, the professors who have changed your life, and the memories that you will cherish forever. Whatever plans lie in front of you, I have no doubt you will go out there and show the world what it means to come from Lubbock, Texas. Go out and win your Super Bowl. Congrats, class of 2020. I can't wait to see what you do next. And that's it. And that's all we got from Patrick Mahomes. Oh, my. You know, I've watched uh, over 100 commencement speeches in my career as an audio engineer. I totaled it up one time. I couldn't believe it. That is the shortest I've ever heard. No doubt about it. 
Sometimes they go on for 45 minutes or something. So I'm, I'm in favor of this speech on that basis alone. You got to be very careful here in this study about criticizing Patrick Mahomes. So I'm not even going to call it criticism. I'm going to call it my questionable reaction. I just think when a school asks you to be their commencement speaker, I don't think they want you to go 45 minutes. I don't think they want you to go an hour. But maybe just a little bit of a look at your life and how you got there and how you went from Lubbock to being the Super Bowl MVP. Just maybe detail the trials and tribulations of having your kneecap off your bone on the field and somehow still winning the Super Bowl in the same year. I, I have a few suggestions is all I'll say. Uh, again, I, 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 he can do no wrong. I read some of the comments of people who read the speech and they, they said it was an outstanding speech. So I will let the majority reign, I, I think, in this one. Well, Another, you have to wonder if they asked him to make a short speech because was this a virtual event? It was a virtual commencement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they might have asked him to make a very short speech. So you have to consider that possibility. It was less than a minute and a half. <laughs> when my sister graduated from William Jewell College, which would have been, gosh, it would have been like 74, I guess. Jerry Litton, who was an up-and-comer in Missouri politics at the time, gave the commencement address. And I believe it was an hour and a half long. And I'll never forget my dad's comment when we were walking away from the ceremony. He said, he really gave three fine speeches. (laughs) So you can can overdo it too. (laughs) I think there was just a happy medium. And Mahomes didn't necessarily reach, reach it. And you could go too long too. So I think actually it's better to be too short than too long. So good on Pat for accomplishing that. On the rest of the show, we'll go through some of the other news stories from the past few days of your Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid talked to the media on Friday. We have that full Zoom conference available to you right here on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel on From the Podium, but we'll go over, I think, some of the main points. We'll continue on with some of this 4th and 15 onside kick discussion. I was able to do a Chiefs Q&A over the weekend on Instagram, instagram.com slash arrowheadpride. We'll take some of my better questions that I received there and talk about them here. And it's SB Nation moments that made you cry week. So we'll talk about some Kansas City Chiefs moments that maybe made us so emotional that will cry. But we'll go right now to the second Mahomes headline. And this is something I think we can all agree was an outstanding job by the Chiefs quarterback here, providing 15 scholarships to children of United States Navy SEALs as part of a Memorial Day tribute. Another outstanding mark for Mahomes as he is the face of this franchise and one the city can be proud of. Absolutely. I just can't get over how often we marvel at his ability to do exactly the right thing in virtually any moment, apparently except commencement speeches. You know, it's crazy. And those who have listened to me and followed my stuff in Kansas City for a while, you probably know that I grew up in New York. And the only person that has ever reminded me of this is Derek Jeter, where, Mm. and while he was playing, not so much as the Miami Marlins owner, where he's gotten himself in a little bit of trouble, he just never did the wrong thing. And... Mm -hmm no matter how, how many times we would go to the post-game presser and the comments in the newspaper, always for every situation said, 
did the right thing. He was a model for players to to follow after as they were coming up in baseball. And I imagine the Patrick Mahomes playbook for young quarterbacks is being written. Don't mm. be like Baker Mayfield. Be like this guy from Kansas City. And and again, I just think that is something that Chiefs fans can really marvel. And Jeter was one of the people who influenced Mahomes, right? Right. He, he was one of the people that Mahomes saw up close as a young man. So we shouldn't be surprised that we'd see the same thing from him as an NFL player. All right, that's it for, for Patrick Mahomes. I do want to move on to some of Andy Reid's press conference and Zoom conference, I guess you would say, uh, takeaways. I felt like coming out of the Zoom conference, I had a question about how the Chiefs were making this entire virtual presser work. I didn't end up asking my question because it was sort of asked in four or five different ways without me even having to, to raise my hand during this presser. So that was a, a main topic there. Another topic was whether or not the Chiefs would have home field advantage. I felt like these two questions were asked in five or six different ways. And that is a sign of the times where it's really the only two things that we have to talk about because the media members, we're not out at practice. There are no practices right now. Hmm. So normally, maybe you would see a guy making outstanding plays on defense, an interception. Maybe there would be an undrafted free agent I don't know why he's coming to mind, but Jordan Smallwood is coming to mind where you might be able to ask Andy Reid, hey, tell us about this tryout player who suddenly is, is making waves here. Uh, not the case right now. So all you really have to ask about is this virtual offseason. And there were some other topics, and, and I think we'll start with another topic, and that was Andy Reid on Eric Bieniemy and the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule was changed last week to make it that two external minority candidates you now have to interview for head coaching positions. Andy Reid was asked, what do you tell a guy like Eric Bieniemy who doesn't necessarily want to be in this limelight? Yeah, well, first of all, keep being you, right? So that's, uh, that's always the most important thing, and it's gotten him to this point. And he'll, he'll, get, he'll have an opportunity here as a head coach, but listen, I think anything that's, that, that helps opportunity, I'm good for, uh, good with, as long as it doesn't put that person in a bind or disadvantage coming in, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So I, I think um, with an Eric situation it, and, and every, everybody that interviews, uh, the, it's, you're in there for only a couple hours with the, with the owners. And so do they really get to know you in that time? And, and, uh, and I wish there was an extended period of time that they could visit with you. And we're always, we're always cramming in, uh, you know, owners are always having to cram in these interviews, but to actually have enough time to get to know what the person is all about. And uh, I think that that becomes an important thing. If you, the more you're with Eric Benemy, the more you appreciate him and understand him and know that he's a great leader of men. And so uh, does an owner actually have that time or are we rushing, and some of it's our schedule, uh, because of the playoffs, are we rushing in and, and okay, I got to get these three, you know, interviews done, but boom, 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 boom. And, and does that, does that owner actually see the worth in that person interviewing? And, um, you know, so I, I worry, I worry more about those kind of things. I mean, Eric's had opportunities to, to interview, but it's, it's always a bang, bang thing. And you get a couple hours and then you're out. I mean, how well do you get to know a guy in a couple hours? Hearing this quote again, 
it is a bit more interesting because he's really shedding some light on the enemy's personal experience. And I just think of situations like the Oakland Raiders, where going into that job process, they knew who they wanted. It was John Gruden. So they may bring in a couple coaches for a couple hours, cross off the Rooney rule, and then go with the guy that they wanted anyway. Andy Reid's saying Eric Bieniemy gets, it sounds like, a cup of coffee meeting, where maybe it's an hour or two. Maybe other guys are getting more time. And so maybe the next step for the NFL is like they are doing with some of the suspension processes now, having a third party that sort of monitors and audits these interviews to make sure that candidates like the enemy are getting a fair shake. That'd be pretty intrusive, but uh, I suppose that could be another step. I was just struck by, you know, I've gone to my share of job interviews in my lifetime. I can't remember one that lasted more than an hour. Can you? You ever had a job interview that lasted two hours? I have not, but I'll say this. From what you hear from NFL circles, like sometimes guys sleep over. Didn't Mike McCarthy sleep at Jarrah, Jarrah's house <laughs> yeah, in, in Dallas? So I think it, it, it's what that actually says is that the process is a little different than what we're accustomed to. But I would think if I had two hours with a guy, I would be able to get myself in his mind as a, as a person who would be valuable to them. You know, if, if I had that couple hour opportunity, but as you say, and I think you're right about this, that if you're, if you've got your mind set on somebody, but you're required to give this interview, you may not have an open mind. It may be impossible for someone to get your attention and demonstrate that they're the guy that could do the job for you. I think that's fair. Danon made a great point last episode. If you haven't, you can go back and listen. But just the fact that now Biennemi has gone 0 for 7, and so you probably have some of these teams asking, well, what's the deal here? Mm-hmm. And it's going to make an interesting scenario this next year if Biennemi was to go over again. Because now, as part of the new Rooney Rule changes, teams can go after your assistants freely to make them offensive coordinator. Mike mm-hmm. Kafka was wanted by the Doug Peterson Philadelphia Eagles for their coordinator position. I was first to note this when the Rooney Rule came out, and then Peter King wrote it in his weekly column this week and, and essentially confirmed it again. Mm-hmm. And so, if you have a scenario next year where the enemy is shut out, and you have Mike Kafka here, who has drawn interest from, it seems like, Peterson plus maybe some other teams, and why wouldn't he? Because he's mm-hmm. worked side-by-side side with Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what the Chiefs are going to do. I don't know. I mean, a couple of years ago, we're, what, how many years removed from co-offensive coordinators? Didn't we have Childress and Nagy mm-hmm. at the same time? For a while, yeah. I wonder if that's an option where Reed can protect it because, again, people can go after your guys now. It's also going to be interesting to see how owners spend their money here because there's no salary cap on spending with your coaching staff. So say Kafka is being pursued by a number of teams. Does Andy Reid go to Clark Hunt and say, listen, they're offering him offensive coordinator money. We need him here as the quarterback's coach for Pat. We need to pay him this amount of money. It's, it's an interesting measure because it makes it more expensive for owners if they want to keep a really good coaching staff together. But I don't think they care about that money. 
I mean, I've never gotten the sense that owners care about the money that they're paying their head coaches or the coaching staff. Have you you ever had that sense? I've gotten the vibe that coaches don't make as much as maybe you would think from the outside looking in. And I'm not talking about head coaches. I'm talking about more assistants. Mm -hmm. Just because you have that Chiefs or that Colts or that Broncos logo on your chest doesn't necessarily mean you're living the good life. I mean, we know Cliff Kingsbury is, is living the good life from got a nice house. I saw during the draft. Yeah. <laughs> but the assistants grind and, and uh, you know, it, it's a little bit relatable at the beginning of like your media career. There's just a lot of people that want to do this. And for those bottom level where you need to start getting some of the experience, essentially at the beginning of your career, you're replaceable. And so, mm. You know, it's still a business and owners are going to try to pay as little as they can. We'll see how this ends up working in Kansas City. I imagine after winning a Super Bowl, if Andy Reid goes to Clark Hunt and says, hey, we need to pay Mike Kafka here, that, that they get it done. But we don't always get to, to hear those conversations, especially between Andy Reid and the owner, because we know Reid as a head coach is a steel trap and these would be conversations happening with one to three people, maybe Mark Donovan, the president, is in the mix. So you're not getting a leak of those conversations at all. Interesting. I, it, again, we'll probably have to revisit this in, in a year's time. And I think, last point on this quickly before I move, move on, you hope that the Rooney Rule begins to work a little bit more because the amount of minorities in positions of leadership in the NFL with the amount of representation with the players. It just doesn't match and it, and it needs to be adjusted in some capacity. Like I said, you just hope this works. Another point I thought was interesting from Reed. And again, he was asked this a number of different ways, but I thought this was the most interesting quote. Here's what the Chiefs are missing right now by not being on the field. I'll probably tell you the timing of uh, routes. i tell you break points on, on the secondary and linebackers. Um, the offensive line is fundamentals and defensive line is more fundamental work. Uh, but, um, and then I, I think that you, you know, if you talk to medical people that you, you understand that injuries can go up if you're not working, change of direction or being tugged on, uh, like a running back would be tackled and he's got to pull through a tackle that it, it has a tendency to up injuries. We saw that a little bit with the lockout here, um, with Achilles tendons and that. So, those things end up being important, but from a pure football standpoint, you know, it's your timing, your breaks, and uh, the guys are still going to be competitive. They're they're going to do the best they possibly can do with whatever we give them. But um, it sure would help, I think, uh, the injury area and also uh, the the game if we if we have a little build up to it. Coaches already feel that offensive and defensive linemen don't get enough reps, real reps when you just have training camp. So this will only add to that. You wonder how it impacts the quality of play of the league this season. I think the most surprising thing we'll see, I think we'll see a lot more injuries this season if they end up playing with an abbreviated schedule for just the reasons that Andy Reid mentioned, that they don't get enough reps to turn and to stress those cuts this could be a very eye-opening experience to see the NFL play without a proper off-season conditioning program. And I think that would, in the end, give the Players Union quite a bit more leverage 
in negotiations for future contracts that specify how much practice time these players get. Of course, unfortunately, they just signed a 10-year deal. So right. the institutional memory may not be long enough to, for the union to remember that when they get to the end of this contract. But I, I agree with that point that Reed made, that uh, this could increase the potential for certain kinds of injuries because, as he said, they've seen this before. It's going to be interesting to see how the NBA and the MLS go. And mm-hmm. if it all goes well, you could adopt and copy some of their practices when it comes to taking temperatures and testing and whatnot. And so at least maybe you have a regular training camp. I don't know how fans will be impacted by that. I've seen a number of comments from AP readers asking if they're going to be able to get autographs. I doubt it. I'd be I, stunned. I, yeah, I'd, I'd be I doubt stunned. it this because yeah. the, the packs of people that you see. I think you're maybe going to have to wait a year to get that back at training camp, hopefully. I wonder how this whole thing impacts just the future in general, like how often they're going to want players in contact with packs of people for the next two or three years just because mm-hmm. of everything you hear. Don't I think wait. it's a serious question to ask if we'll even have spectators at training camp this year. If right. they have it in St. Joseph. Last year, going into the Chiefs Super Bowl or bus season, it was a madhouse, especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I got to imagine if there are fans, it may be limited to like season ticket holders or some kind of check on the amount of people that could be there. Or maybe you register online. I don't know what the process will be. I just can't imagine they'll have a repeat of last year right now for this year with this current climate. Again, this is us just spitballing. We don't know right, for sure. Right. We know we have no information about this, but as I think we, it's a fair question. As we've seen with with COVID, I don't think anyone really knows. Like mm-hmm. you get asked questions all the time. Do you think fans will be at the games? I don't think the NFL knows. Right. They're just going to wait and 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 see here. Okay, last point from Reed before we move on. Andy Reed on home field advantage and the impact that having no fans at Arrowhead might have. There's home field advantage with the fans. There's home field advantage that you don't travel and that you know the facility and, and, and where everything lays on that field. So you have that part of it. Um, but I, I would tell you, we'd miss the fans if that's the direction it goes. I mean, we got the best fans in the NFL, so we'd miss the fans. Um, but again, you, you know, when you're given these things, you have to go through and say, okay, this is what we've got, fellas. Uh, and, and you got to muster it up and, and go play and, and, uh, and still do all that. So, um, you know, and then if nothing else, we know our fans are watching. <laughs> so, because uh, the, the Kansas City fans don't miss a beat, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make sure they know, that, uh, they'll make sure that our players know that they're, they're behind us. You know, I look at the Chiefs schedule and what's interesting to me is, let's just say the NFL removes fans. Andy Reid is right. Having to play Oakland, I believe, and then a couple days later, travel to Buffalo, that is a huge disadvantage. So even if there isn't the decibels and the Arrowhead Stadium roar and the sea of red and how loud it gets, which we've seen has caused penalties and rattled quarterbacks like Phillip Rivers in the past, there will still be an advantage to just simply staying home and having to walk across the street from the facility to play your game. Right. And I, and I think that that's the part of home field advantage that fans don't really have a grasp about because 
if you're traveling to the coast, say, from the Midwest, or if you're on a coastal team traveling to the other coast, traveling is a big deal. You've got the jet lag, the long flight, the preparations from top to bottom. You've got your people packing up your stuff, putting it in trunks, getting it there, getting it moved into place. We saw in that game against the Patriots, if that goes sideways, you know, you've got serious problems. And that's something that we never think about as fans or observers of the game, that all this stuff has got to be dealt with and moved, the logistics part of it. And for a guy like Andy Reid, who thrives on his preparation and how much preparation he has and his routine, traveling is a big impediment to getting everything the way that you want it. So I'm not surprised that Andy Reid mentions, you know, there's the logistical part of it and then there's the fans in the stands part of it. But I think there will be some home field advantage that we don't really expect in the coming season. I think that the fans obviously are part of that. Obviously, they are. But I think there's more to home field advantage than that. And I think that's what Reed was saying. Short rest, even, I just think is, yeah. is, is huge when you're home yeah. versus away. That, yeah. that Thursday night game, mm-hmm. there's been complaints about it in the past. I complain about the, the health and safety of it. I also will watch every single Thursday night football game I have since they've made it. So really? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. And and it seems like the games got a little bit better last year. I don't know if there was a slight shift or teams have now adjusted to make, I guess, the recovery a little bit better or, or whatever. But it would be better for me and I'd feel better about it if you could somehow design the year maybe to have two bye weeks and the Thursday night team has the proper rest mm-hmm. at least the road team right well i yeah. you, you couldn't i mean you'd almost need both teams to have the same amount but yes again it does seem like the teams have adjusted i think we did get more competitive games last year there are interesting scenarios too you mentioned how fans don't realize what's going on occasionally so you have the raiders right and then the short rest against the bills i bet that the chiefs will be ready for the raiders because they know they're playing them twice in training camp. We've heard about how they have AFC West days. I bet mm-hmm. you a lot of the coaching staff, even that week leading up to Oakland, will be focusing on game planning for the Bills, and they'll be running these double practices. It's just something fans I just don't think always realize is going on. And but they acknowledged have, that last year, that they were doing that very thing. You have to do it with the yeah. short, re- the short yeah. rest. Yeah. We're veering off here. That's Andy Reid. We'll have one more Andy Reid quote coming up in segment two as we dive into John's hot take from over the weekend. We got to talk about this, but that's coming up in segment two. All right, let's get into CBS Sports top triplets. CBS Sports ranked the top quarterback, running back, and wide receiver combos in the entire NFL. I'll read you the top five. So this is the tier one elite triplets. This became a thing a couple of years ago. And it's remained a thing. I like it. You know, sometimes these are a little too gimmicky for me. But anyway, here we go. Ravens triplets, number five. Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, and Mark Andrews. Number four, the Seahawks. Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, and Tyler Lockett. I'm not a big Chris Carson guy. Uh, Cowboys, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper. Number two, the Saints. Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas. And number one, your Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Notable, not Damian Williams, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. John, what do you think? Well, I think it's amazing that they would put the Chiefs at number one with a rookie, albeit a first-round rookie, 
as one of the triplets. I think that's making a big assumption about a rookie player, personally. I think what it says to me, and this is no disrespect to CEH, as I've been calling him now and I like, I think that it could be Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Man on the Street, or if they hadn't drafted a running back, Damian Williams. I just think that Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and what they're building is so good. And Andy Reid is so good with what he's able to do with any running back that we've seen. Spencer Ware is included in that, right? For Kendrick West, that that's the faith that they have, CBS I'm talking about, in putting the Chiefs in the top. And look, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I think a lot of Chiefs fans hope this, he might be the next Christian McCaffrey. I think mm-hmm. there's that type of skill set there, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what CBS Sports, I think, is saying in putting Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Clyde there. I mean, you think about Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill missed five games last year, and he still had 860 yards. 860 yards. That is an incredible output for someone missing that many games. And Again, this is where you're at here, where you not only have the elite coaches, but you have the elite personnel to surround your elite quarterback. It's the perfect situation offensively in Kansas City, and the defensive side is still, I think, trying to catch up to that. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with your take. I mean, I I think there's evidence of that and what they wrote about with Mahomes and Edwards Hilaire and Tyreek Hill in this in this quote from the article, Hill is the most explosive receiver in the NFL, a threat to score no matter where on the field the Chiefs have the ball, and in what kind of jam he catches it when Mahomes lets fly. The two are as perfect a fit as exists in the league. That's pretty strong evidence of exactly what you're saying, that they're they're allowing themselves to put a rookie in there because Mahomes and Hill are so good. It's I call it surprising to me. But yeah. I'm, I'm coining it the three-yard rule with Tyreek Hill. If you get Tyree Kill the ball with three yards of space, probably a touchdown, what, 90% of the time? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Have we ever even seen a player like that? I, I, it's just, I don't know if he gets the respect that he deserves because there was a lot of the off-the-field stuff that I think sometimes people are, are nervous about putting him among the NFL's elite. And I also think last year with the injuries hurt him. It ruined his streak of 1,000 yards receiving or more. I think this year could be, as long as Tyreek Hill stays healthy, he may really emerge as the NFL's top weapon where a lot of people nationally know about Patrick Mahomes. And I think a lot of people nationally know about Tyreek Hill, but they know him as a speed guy. They may look at him and say, this is Antonio Brown. Mm -hmm. And, And I think a lot of people look at Antonio Brown and think that from pictures and stuff, he's taller. I'm going to blow your mind here for a second, John. Tyree Kill and Antonio Brown are both five foot ten. They're the same size. So I just think that Hill could really mark himself down this season as the NFL's top receiver. Michael Thomas is definitely another one. Let's see how Arizona maybe revamps DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's certainly in the mix. But again, something to watch here. And that respect for Hill and Mahomes is why the Chiefs are number one in the CBS sports list. And that stage was set in the Super Bowl. I'll never forget the comment that the commentators made after 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp. How many receivers can run that route? 
it's not just Mahomes. It's that Hill has the capability to run that route, and not every receiver can do that. And Mahomes knew how well he ran it mm-hmm. against New England, and that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why he told the enemy, can we run this? Do we have time to run this? Last point of the news. Okay, you can argue maybe this isn't news, but it's May 26th. Give me a break. The <laughs> NFL stimmed Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady for which will take place week 12 of this year. Chiefs visiting the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Chiefs win 17-13. Looked like Clyde had a big game in the simulation. We don't get official numbers on this, but a 17-13 final score. John, do you care about this? A little bit, but not a lot. I mean, it's a video game. You know, I did watch it, and I thought it was amusing that uh, the big play that broke the game open for the Chiefs, at least based on the highlights that were shown, was a screen pass to That's Edward right. Zelaire. And it was great to see that 25 catching that screen pass and making, a, making it a big game. I also noticed the big coverage stop from Damian Wilson. You know, last training camp, I was high on Damian Wilson, and he never really lived up to what I thought he would be at camp. Again, it's, it is training camp. I, I hope that another year in the system, he has a bounce back here. I mean, he's certainly going to have the motivation, right, with the Chiefs drafting a linebacker in the second round. So we'll see. I also noticed on this, Sam Frank Clark with the final sack of Tom Brady. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I don't think that a 17-13 score is real, but that final sequence of Mahomes going ahead and then Frank Clark sacking Brady, you could totally see happening. So let's keep that in mind if we can remember uh, when it comes time <laughs> for week 12. That is your Chiefs news of the past few days. When we come back, we'll take a, a closer look at this NFL proposed rule, fourth and 15, instead of the onside kick. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, Episode 9. We're going to approach double digits here soon, John, and then it'll only be 90 more episodes to triple digits. I want to get into... Andy Reid and his comments on this proposal by the Philadelphia Eagles, his old team, where teams twice a game could go fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick. And if they convert, they end up getting the football back. Been a lot of talk about this in Kansas City because of just how good Patrick Mahomes is. Here's Andy Reid on the rule change proposal. I don't know if it's going to pass or not. I know the special teams coaches aren't real big on that. Um, you know, it takes away, uh, obviously, one of the elements of theirs. And then it's also the kickoff, which has been under scrutiny here, and kickoff returns. So, um, you know, to keep the integrity of the game, you, you like that part of it. Uh, on the other hand, if it does pass, and you, you know, we, we've got a guy that can, can – uh, do fourth and fifteens. I mean, he he would give us an opportunity to be able to do that. So um, I, I've got kind of mixed mixed thoughts on it. Um, I, I would 
probably stick, uh, you know, being an old guy, I'd probably stick with the integrity of the game as it sits right now. But I can also see where uh, the other part could be exciting too. Now, John, you had the audacity to write an article why 4th and 15 isn't a gimme, even for Patrick Mahomes. Explain this blasphemy. (laughs) Well, you characterized this earlier as a hot take. And actually, my hot take was the article I wrote on Friday. And then after I'd had a chance to think about it over the, the holiday weekend, I realized, okay, maybe this isn't as much of a gimme as we think it is. But let me just say that I'm with Andy Reid. I'm for maintaining the integrity of the game. My argument is that the integrity of the game, at least as in terms of onside kicks, has already been damaged. And this rule is an effort to bring that integrity back so that teams that are trailing late in the game have a mechanism by which they can get an extra possession. It's a very risky proposition. It always has been a risky proposition. Even before the kickoff rule changes, an onside kick only had about a one in four chance of succeeding. Well, if your choice is to try something like that that has a one in four chance, and if you fail, the team that's ahead of you gets the ball on their own 40-yard line, that's a big risk that you're taking. And the balance of it was really quite good. It was hard enough to do that you wouldn't just do it unless you're in a desperate situation and willing to take that risk. So it generally appeared only late in games when you were behind by a substantial amount of points or when there was almost no time left. And now with the changes in the kickoff rules, now it's like a one in 10 shot to recover that onside kick. And that is not enough to allow coaches to really consider it as an option when they're coming back. So now we're in a situation that if you get up a two or three score lead, the team that's behind by that that score really has no realistic shot to come back and win. And I don't think that's I don't think that's the way the game was set up. You know, we're not talking about a rule that was put in place in the 70s or 80s in order to artificially improve how exciting the game is and make the offense have a bigger advantage. This is a rule that's been part of the game ever since it began. There are onside kicks in rugby, for crying out loud, okay, that preceded American football. And what they're proposing is actually, on paper, harder to do than an onside kick. So to me, this is just returning the integrity of the game just by a different method than an onside kick. I think it would benefit the Chiefs a little bit and only because when you compare quarterbacks that other teams are rolling with, like a Tyrod Taylor or a Dwayne Haskins come to mind, for example, Patrick Mahomes is going to have an easier time converting fourth and 15. I don't, I don't think you could doubt agree with that. that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's where Chiefs fans like it. And, you know, we already mentioned in in this episode the famous Wasp play. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people can just remember third and 15 in their minds. And the Chiefs Mm -hmm. were able to convert that and came back to win the Super Bowl. That's going to happen every single time. So easy to say. I'm interested in seeing if this rule passes because it makes the game more exciting. And every time 
that there is a case to be made that the game is more exciting. It what? It makes the owners more money. And a lot of times these votes are motivated by money. Like I think usually in this type of situation, I would say, ah, this is too radical. No way this gets changed. But I'm intrigued here because can't you imagine on an NFL Sunday where you're out with your buddies or maybe you're home and you're watching Red Zone, how many people would run to the television or look at that TV that's on in your bar or restaurant and say, oh my, the Panthers are going for it on 4th and 15. This is the game right here. Mm-hmm. It would way, be the game. Way yeah. more exciting to me than an onside kick. I'm also I'm wondering how penalties work. Is it a retry? Is it if it's pass interference, you keep the ball? I mean, I think you'd have to ask those questions. When's the vote on this? Thursday? Thursday. Yeah, the virtual meeting is on Thursday. Yeah. So we'll know in a couple of days whether it'll be a rule or not. And, you know, it's way too late to have conversations about it. I mean, you know, we're not going to impact what the rule that they vote on on Thursday is. And there is still, of course, the chance that when it gets before the owners, they'll say, oh, no, we're not passing it as it is, but we would accept it if it was 4th and 20. You know, they may they may take that approach to it, that they'll make a modification to it before Man, they, they vote on it. Even for the Chiefs, like 4th and 20 would be, you got to be borderline nuts to opt for that. I, I, you, could, you could argue that Mahomes would be better at 4th and 20 than he would be at 4th and 15. That's what the statistics show, anyway, as I demonstrated in the article I wrote on arrowheadbride.com. There's a reason that I chose you instead of Ethan to host this podcast with me, and it's for <laughs> moments like this. Ethan is, our, of course, our really smart and excellent Arrowhead Pride analytics author that would be all about the Chiefs going 4th and 20 instead of 4th and 15, which makes no sense to my little brain. We'll see what happens on Thursday with this vote. Uh, again, this is relevant to Chiefs fans because they feel like they have a guy, and Andy Reid says... He feels like he has a guy that would be able to convert such a down and distance. We'll see what happens. I guess we'll have the answer not on the Thursday AP Editor Show, but I'm sure it's something we will talk about one week from today when we're in June. And just for the record, I'd just like to say that I agree that the Chiefs will have a better shot than any other team in general to convert this kind of a play. I agree with that. I'd rather have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid trying to convert that fourth and 15 than any other team in the league. But even if we, if we take Ethan's approach and look at those, the accumulative EPA for the fourth down and long plays and third down and long plays that Patrick Mahomes has had in his career, he still has only converted those plays 50% of the time, less than 50%. And even a 50% conversion rate on this 4th and 15 play that they're voting on to replace an onside kickoff is still a really tough decision for a coach to make when they're trailing. Look for John's Should the Chiefs Start Chad Henney article this week <laughs> on ourheadpride.com. Coming up, we'll discuss some of the better questions from our Instagram Q&A from over the weekend, plus... Kansas City Chiefs moments that led us to tears. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. 
Back here on the AP Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. This is our final segment. I want to use a second here to promote our Instagram channel. We put up different things that we're doing at Arrowhead Pride on our Instagram. If you have an Instagram account, instagram.com slash Arrowhead Pride. One thing I do every once in a while is I'll take questions in the story. And we got some good ones over the weekend in our Memorial Day weekend Q&A. I thought these were our five most discussion-worthy questions. First of which was, will Arrowhead Stadium get to full capacity this season? John, I'll tell you my answer. I think it will at some point, but I have my doubts at week one. Again, as we said earlier, I think it was segment one. Nobody knows at this point. I'm optimistic. Week one sounds like a reach. I agree with that. There's just so much uncertainty about this. And we've seen polling that there are a lot of people who are just not willing to go to sporting events until there's some kind of a vaccine. And the odds that we'll have a viable vaccine by September are astronomical at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that people who hold tickets won't sell them to others who are willing to go. So we could see big crowds. um, But I just think a sellout is going to be very hard to do, especially early in the season. Again here, I I just don't think anyone has the answer and it's wait and see. And so I think as time goes on, we'll get more data about this. Mm -hmm. I keep saying it and it's a point I just want to continue to reiterate. Watching the NBA and how they handle it is going to be huge. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the NBA is ever really planning to have fans. Will the world be in a place when football starts in the fall where they can? We'll see what happens. Next question. Who is the player that you're most excited to watch next year? My answer was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I was also asked a little bit later about his stat line. And I said, I think you're looking at a floor of 1,300 yards with Andy Reid calling the plays. And a lot of opposing fans would probably say to me, oh, there's that Kansas City media all about the cheap. No, I just have seen Andy Reid do crazier things, mentioned Spencer Ware before, with way less talented running backs on paper. So I look at Clyde. From everything that you hear, they draft him in the first round. They were following this guy. We went through the Clyde Edwards-Alaire, no matter what, type deal. I just think by the end of the season, he's on the field for 80% of the snaps, running back by committee featuring Clyde, if you will. And I think with that time, he's able to compile 1,300 yards from scrimmage. I'm not saying rushing or receiving. I'm saying total yardage. You figure out how that's broken up. And it's incredible to say that about a rookie and feel so confident, but that's where I'm at with this guy. John, I want to ask you about the player you're most excited to watch next year. I think Willie Gay Jr. Because I have said all along that linebacker was the position the Chiefs really needed to address. So I'm see, I'm very interested to see that this player they chose for his potential and managed to get a good deal on him because of the circumstances of the draft will play out as a member of the Chiefs. I'm real excited to see how that works out. I love the dynamic right now between our wonderful AP nerd squad that you can listen to on the AP Laboratory where they love Spag so much, but they hate his answer on Willie Gay Jr. about how (laughs) they may be running him as this reserve Sam Backer, Reggie Raglan role where they really want to see him as the will because I I believe they've identified him as, as... the most athletic linebacker on this team, and, they, and they're correct. I think what gives the Chiefs pause is the fact that they can't work with Willie Gay Jr. right now, and who knows when they're actually going to, and this is coach speak, be able to get their hands on him and 
They say, creepy, isn't it? This is something they say. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. This is something that they say. And so I find that a, a return to the playing field. Willie Gay Jr. is helped by that maybe more so than your average veteran. Like everyone sort of knows already what Dorian O'Daniel is, right? Right, right. What do you have in Willie Gay? Could he start week one? We saw the Chiefs after he earned it, and that was something Spagnolo noted. Juan Thornhill was starting week one. But Spags, who's big on vets, will give them the opportunity first, and the rookie has to really earn it. Interesting year, too, because we'll see if, how many preseason games are played and, and how that works. And again, right. that'll be big for Willie Gay as well. And, you know, even last year when uh, Spagnola was coming into a team where there was ample tape for the veterans, he'd be able to do all the research he wanted on what these players could do. And even at the beginning of the season, he was acknowledging that he was still figuring out how to use them best. So that's going to be very difficult for, for him to make an evaluation of what this guy can do right out of the box, which is why I'm excited to see what he can do right out of the box. Spags and Brett Veach, just really quickly, are just like journalist dreams. They pretty much answer you straight. And mm -hmm. not every coach is like that. And I can understand why, so I'm not killing coaches for not being straight, but... Anytime you ask Spags a question, he'll give you his most honest answer. If there's something that he can't really get into, he'll say, you know, I can't yeah, really right. talk about that. It's a strategic advantage. But Brett Feach as well. I mean, you ask yeah. him why he, he chased after certain guys, give you a detailed, true answer, sometimes too detailed, like we saw with Mr. Brian Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thankful for that. And you're thankful for that as a journalist. Yeah. John, I'll, I'll let you start here. Who's your biggest threat to the Chiefs repeating? In the AFC, the Ravens, I think, still. Uh, they're still going to be a very difficult team to beat. In the NFC, I think the Saints. And then, you know, I'm not really on board this train, but most people would say the Bucks would be a threat in the NFC. I'm not convinced. I never have been convinced. But we play all three of these teams in the regular season, so we'll have a pretty good idea of how we stack up against them by the time we get to the playoffs. Yeah, I like the Ravens in the AFC. How could you not? They were explosive offensively last year, and then they went out and really bolstered their defense. So, at least on paper, not to say that Super Bowls are won in the free agency market, but just on paper, they've improved themselves from last year. I think the team that I highlighted is is the Saints. I, I you know, the more I look at it, especially with the fact that teams are going to get less time to work with certain players and, and whatnot. I think there's mm -hmm. a huge advantage to the Chiefs for just basically bringing everybody back. Hashtag run right. it back. Mm -hmm. So I, I see them getting to the Super Bowl. We just went through Michael Jordan's last dance. This is Drew Brees' last dance. And the Saints are all in on this year. They're really not set up for the future. It's this year of 2020 or bust. I think a lot of times too, like like you would when you get to a game seven in other sports. I think once you get to the Super Bowl, you sort of throw everything out the window. Just it's just a, it almost feels like a different game. I think we saw that last year where the 49ers really could have won that game. I mean, let, let's just call a spade a spade. Sure. It had not yeah. been for the outstanding heroics by Patrick Mahomes. I think once you get to the game, neutral field, these teams are so well stacked up. It's so hard to get to the Super Bowl. Who knows what happens when you get there? And I, I just, I find the Saints to be a bigger threat than the Ravens because Drew Brees has proven it before. And I, I think mm -hmm. this is his last chance. He's already signed a TV deal, for God's sake. So he knows that. 
There's going to be motivation there that the Chiefs simply don't have. I like Lamar until he shows me something. Like maybe week three, he can change my mind. But to me right now, Drew Brees is a, a bigger, more substantial right. threat than would be uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I agree with that. Next question. Will the Chiefs sign Chris Jones long-term? I continue to say not this year. I just think that the Buckner trade and signing him for the Colts made this gap that already existed between the Chiefs and Jones' representation a bit wider. The Chiefs can actually save, when you, when you think of those numbers, the Chiefs can actually save, what, like 5 or $6 million by just keeping him on the franchise tag for this year. I think it's $16.1 million that they would have to pay him. Gets interesting when you think about, okay, they're still working on a Patrick Mahomes deal. Maybe that's something that they could figure out this year. How can we keep Jones at this number and still be able to pay Patrick Mahomes this and what would be the first year of his super-duper mega contract? John, you're a little bit better with the numbers on this stuff. I don't even know if that's possible. But again, I, I just think the gap is too wide. And finally, I think we're at a point, too, where, again, we said it's May 26th. Start to look at the clock. July 15th is the deadline. Do we really think that you're going to get close enough to come to a long-term agreement? The Chiefs have maintained that the dialogue has been there. It's also a question of if you want to sign these defensive players to long-term deals, especially in this climate where you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we've seen drop-offs before in Kansas City get burned with Justin Houston and Eric Berry. I just think there might be a little bit of hesitation to say, okay, Chris, listen, we're too wide apart. We're not willing to, to go through these hoops. Make your 16.1 and let's kick this down, I guess, the path to next year. I have come around on this. Coming into from the Super Bowl onward, my presumption was that the Chiefs would uh, put the franchise tag on Jones and try and make a deal with him, which is what they did. And I think what they continue to do. But I think now with the pandemic going on, the salary cap next year is so unpredictable. I think the Chiefs have decided not to make any kind of a long-term deal with any player before they know what the salary cap is going to look like next year. And honestly, I think that's smart. Because, you know, you're looking at potentially having a very large contract with Patrick Mahomes, which I think will be the case regardless of what the salary cap is next year. And the amount of money that you will have available for other players is going to be, therefore, even smaller than it would be under ideal circumstances where the salary cap goes up by 5 or 10% next season. Right. I think there's a real possibility it could be flat or lower. You make an interesting point, And just to piggyback off of what you're saying here, too, it's funny because the percentage of the salary cap used to be, before COVID, mm-hmm. a player benefit, right? Money's going up every year, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe now the Chiefs think about that outside-the-box thinking that Mike Florio loves and loves to put out there because it actually would benefit the team, at least in this two-year climate where you say, all right, we're going to give Mahomes, let's say, I don't know, 15 to 20%, whatever you come to, of mm-hmm. the salary cap. With that flexible number, if you get to next year and it's down X millions of dollars, you just made money. You just made money mm-hmm. on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that now, increases the yeah. possibility that Mahomes would get a percentage deal if the salary cap drops next year. 
Now, a lot of fans would say, shut up, Pete and John, pay him whatever he wants. And I agree with that as well. And I, yeah, I do too. I'm I'm not saying, you know, go for a cheap deal with Mahomes, but you can't hamstring the franchise. And if the salary cap doesn't increase, I mean, we've gotten so used to this thing that the salary cap goes up every year. Well, it goes up every year because league revenues go up every year. And if league revenues take a hit this year because of this pandemic, and I'm not predicting that's happening. I'm just saying that's a distinct possibility. The salary cap might not go up next year. Now, they could do something creative, like borrow salary cap money from years down the road when it will start going back up again, but maybe they don't want to do that for one or whatever reason. So I think the Chiefs are being smart here to, to stick to their guns in their negotiations with Jones. And I think you make a good point that the Buckner deal may have had a lot to do with why they haven't been able to come to an agreement. But I also think that some of this is the Chiefs being I, yeah, I just don't know if I want to make a long-term deal for another player. We've got Mahomes coming up. Houston and Barry is so recent too. And, you know, even if you want to rope into it, Bo, like that deal was so bad. <laughs> you got to be careful. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, that's a different story, but just with deals in general. Yeah. All right, John, I'll let you start. Who's your Chiefs undrafted free agent sleeper for this season? Well, you know, you're asking the wrong guy for this. You know, I've never been a, a college football expert. I never have claimed to be. But just from what we've gathered about these players and my own perceived view of the Chiefs' needs, when I look at it, I'm looking at Yasir Durant from Missouri or the linebacker from Cincinnati, Brian Wright. And again, that's because I think the Chiefs are really looking to find some good linebackers because they need some. And this this kid from Cincinnati is nasty, and he's got he's got that mindset that the Chiefs like. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see what he'll do, and I'll call him a sleeper. Which I'm going to take <laughs> by that you mean somebody that we don't expect to succeed. So right, and uh, the 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 Cincinnati connection means that he'll have the Travis Kelsey blessing, which we know. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think we all know that the starting punter is an undrafted free agent in Tommy Townsend. So that doesn't really count. I'm going to say Daryl Williams, another, another Daryl Williams. And I'm not talking about the running back. I'm talking about the offensive lineman. And I just think that the Chiefs have shown enough signs. The Cesar Ruiz rumor comes to mind where maybe they're not 100% satisfied with Austin Ryder. Mm-hmm. So maybe that is a sneaky center battle to watch there. Talk with Daryl Williams. He has all of these Chiefs marks that you would check on a list. Mm-hmm. Where, as you said, Johnny, he, he's nasty. Andy Reid has this thing he likes to say, dirty, tough. He has leadership. He was one of the vocal leaders of Mississippi State, even though he's an offensive lineman. And so he screams out Chiefs to me, recent Chiefs of this Andy Reid era. So, again, that's somebody points, yeah. I think you should watch. Okay, final segment of the day, SB Nation moments that made you cry weak. John, Kansas City Chiefs moment that led you to tears. I'm not a guy who's going to cry when the game is lost. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not. I, 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 haven't, I haven't ever been that guy. To me, I've always been pretty philosophical about losses. But I did cry when Sammy Watkins caught that touchdown pass in the AFC Championship game. 
Terry was out of town. She was at a funeral in Texas. I was at my sister's house where I wouldn't normally, but because I was at my sister's house, I was hanging out with my brother-in-law with whom I shared a pair of season tickets back in the 90s. And we've sat through many games together and been in the cold together and painted our faces together, done all the things that Chiefs fans who sit in Arrowhead Stadium do. And we've, we've got that, that bond between us. And I happened to be sitting in a chair with my laptop in front of me. Of course, I was working like we all do during games. And Watkins caught that pass late in the game that sealed the win. Um, my brother-in-law, Bob, was sitting in front of me to my right, and I stood up and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Bob, <laughs> we're going to the Super Bowl. Oh, and then I was worthless the rest of the evening. I was sobbing. It was oh, terrible. I was so ashamed of myself. But it was a great moment. You know, it was a great moment. So I'm, I'm secure enough in my masculinity that I'm willing to tell that story to a large <laughs> audience. So come at me, bro. Come at me. That's a good one. I can't believe you said, come at me, bro. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I don't have any of these moments for the Chiefs. I'll be honest. I, I, I was introduced to what would be the Chiefs kingdom in 2014 as an unpaid intern out of a journalism program. And don't get me wrong, Kansas City's become my second home. But it wasn't this... It, it happened relatively quickly for me. It I mm. wasn't this long-suffering process as a Chiefs fan. I mean, I'll be honest. But there have been moments where... I would say it's given me the, the sports chills. And I have two in particular that, that aren't what you would think, I would guess. One was Alex Smith scoring the touchdown against this, the Los Angeles, or I guess then the San Diego Chargers when they come back from 21 points down Oh yeah, early in the season where you, I think, say to yourself in the press box, man, you feel like, okay, you just saw something that will last with you for the rest of your life. Momentous. And then there was another against the Oakland Raiders again at Arrowhead Stadium. The Chiefs are wearing all red. And Tyree Kill, who had gone through a huge, I think, process of winning the Kansas City community as part of his story, mm -hmm. is standing back there for a punt return. And this was the first time that, that the Chiefs fans have done it. And it's become a thing at Arrowhead ever since is chanting Tyreek, where the entire stadium, it sounded like, was chanting Tyreek. And that's not all. Like a second later, he runs back a touchdown and the place was just going crazy. I think being in, in, in the stadium for those moments, I wouldn't say it led me to tears because it didn't, but it led me into my emotions. And I think that's the closest that I've been. And I was also fortunate enough to be in Miami, which I think speaks for itself. I mean, there's just all mm -hmm. kinds of feelings. More so even than any play in particular in Miami, what got me is just the fact that the stadium, when the Chiefs were in their comeback, when the team was on defense, it was as loud as Arrowhead in Miami. That mm -hmm. speaks to how long the Chiefs fans have wanted this. You're looking probably at a 60 or 70, 60, I would say 60%, 40% for crowd mm -hmm. in favor of the Chiefs. And it is as loud as Arrowhead. Like that to me is another moment that that'll stick with me forever. So again, I'm glad, John, that you had a legitimate moment that made you cry. That's those are the three that got me, I think, really close to being in my in my tears of of experiencing something. But anyway, that's the show for you. I mean, we went through a lot of different things that are happening this week. 
The Arrowhead Pride Podcast channel is an up-and-coming channel. We got the AP Laboratory. They'll be back with you again on Wednesday at 11 a.m. We will be back with you on Thursday. This week, we'll be hearing from Chiefs coaching assistants. So some interesting analysis as to how this virtual offseason is going for them. So keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com for all your updates. For John Dixon, my name is Pete Sweeney. We thank you once again for listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.